It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Who is Kennedy? How does she save the world? And what is something we may not know about this legendary woman? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Well, you know her. You love her. Um, She's a superstar on Fox Business. She saves the world on her podcast. And she's sitting right across from me. She is... Kennedy. Oh my garden. This is so exciting. It's so exciting. Um, I'm very happy that you're here because, you know, you do so much and you're now, you know, you, what it, it's four right now. You go on in a few hours and you're taking the time to spend it with me. Of I don't know course. why you would do that. Because you're amazing and wonderful and you have been gracious enough to join my podcast. So now here we that are. That was an honor though. Um, well, I just the fact that you would invite it's a Trojan a good time. on. It's always I, a great time. I feel time. like we always have a good time, no matter where we are, who we're rooting for. <laughs> That's right. So you have, you've had such an interesting life. Um, MTV, you did radio, you're at Fox Business, like I mentioned. You made the regrettable decision to go to UCLA instead of USC. As an adult. As I, Yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, so just take me through the beginning. I mean, where did you start? What was your first job? And what did you learn? And how did you get here? So my first professional job was unpaid. I was an intern at K-Rock in Los Angeles, KROQ, uh, which was, you know, kind of a legendary alternative music station. And at the time, there were not a lot of alternative stations in the country. And more and more were popping up, you know, in large part because of K-Rock's success. So K-Rock had a great reputation of breaking bands and entire genres of music. And they went all in on grunge. So I started there in February of 91, And, you know, the big albums from Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and Soundgarden came out in the fall of that year, fall of 1991. And then the scene absolutely exploded. It just took off in 1992. So it was really fun being a part of music at that time. And having grown up in the Pacific Northwest, the sound was more familiar to me and the vibe, a lot of flannel. There's a lot of flannel <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest. And, I mean, you know, flannel is the best thing that you can wear. But you've lived in colder climates. You know yeah. that you have to layer. Obviously. And, and so flannel is just an ideal candidate for layering. And, you know, flannel, docks, baggy shorts, you know, beanies, that whole thing, it has never left me. And, and it's, <laughs> it's so much fun because every generation, uh, they feel like they're discovering something for the first time. Yeah. And two of those things are fluorescent colors. Okay. And docks. And low-waisted jeans now, I think, too. People yeah, and are flares. Back. Why? Exactly. Yeah, flares. That's another <laughs> like, oh my God, this is amazing. So the only reason I took my job with Parked is so I could wear a flannel. That's right. Because that's what you wear to national parks. Absolutely especially right. when you're in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Did like, you let's say like our Mount Rainier? Did you love Mount Rainier? I loved it. Did you now, get hypoxic? This is my this is my podcast. I get to ask you the questions. That's right. <laughs> no, but I did love it. It was so beautiful up yeah. there. I was like, ah, oh, it's crazy. We- Mount Rainier, like those mountains are big. Huge. And then it blows my mind why anyone would live at the base of a volcano. They said that that one, if it erupts, could be the deadliest because so many people live there. I, I was got out, in Oregon when Mount St. Helens erupted. Oof. So our school trips, like our, our little field trips during school and elementary school, were going to 
a neighbor's house and all of us, uh, like third and fourth graders, piled on the deck and we watched the smoke coming out of Mount St. Helens because we knew an eruption was imminent. What did you do when it erupted? It was a Saturday morning. So May 18th, 1980 was a Saturday morning. And we had had several tremors, which, you know, they're like small earthquakes. Mm -hmm. But... I had never been through anything. So all of a sudden, like, yeah, the bed is shaking. To, you hadn't gone to, to dogs, UCLA yet. <laughs> no, exactly. Dogs barking, bed is shaking. And we're like, is this it? And then there literally was a cloud of ash. And ash just covered everything. And I'll never forget my friend's mom in the garden with her little garden shovel and plastic bags putting ash into the bag. She's like, this is the best thing for the soil. She's like, I'm going to save as much as I can, and I'm going to put it in my garden forever. Wow. That's the most Pacific Northwest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) And then she got into her Volvo and drove to Reef College. (laughs) With her Birkenstocks on. That's that's really crazy. Were you scared at all when it erupted? Yeah, it was was weird. I mean, we knew it was going to happen. And uh, and it was even bigger than we thought. It was just this massive plume that you could see as far away as Japan, and the jet stream took it. And it was like night, and uh, it, it and it made you think as a kid because the Pacific Northwest, the Cascade Mountains, are called the Ring of Fire, right? Because they are active volcanoes. So it's like, well, which one is the next to blow? There are like seven million volcanoes in Seattle and outside of it. It's it's really wild, and I don't know why. Again. It's you. You got out at a good time, though. So this is good. So you mentioned K Rock. Um, what was your nickname there? The Virgin Kennedy. Why? Because I had not had intercourse, <laughs> and they everyone knew you, it. You wanted to have that. How old were you? I at the time I was when I was interning. I was eighteen and nineteen. Okay, well, it makes sense. Yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I wasn't some loosey goosey floozy. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't that wobbing that thing up and throwing it at any yeah. eager participant. As was, you should not holding on to that your body is a temple exactly right yes so um after that job what made you go you know i want to keep doing this and you you got your job with mtv what was that like so that was really funny because the program director at the time at k-rock when i was an intern i i don't have boundaries like i don't Mm. i don't follow social cues very well which is a good thing and it's a bad thing i think it's a great thing like it's a good thing because i treat pretty much everyone the same because i don't know really how to regulate my tone i you know it's like i can be i'm i'm a pretty nice person but i'm essentially the same with everyone like i i will high five you if you are the pope or like a five-year-old riding a bike i heard the pope gives really good high five i'm sure he does <laughs> you know he's like south america he's like what's up hey girl um yeah i'm sure he's a big like hey him. girl guy his eminence um, i heard that so i used to go into the program director's office all the time because I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. I didn't know that there were rules, like unspoken rules for everyone who worked at the company. I thought that everyone was just running around trying to get rad all the time. That's all I was trying to do. And mm. so I went to his office repeatedly. And I was like, hey, Andy, what's up? He's like, hello, intern. <laughs> and I was like, you should put me on the air. So one day he called my bluff and he was like, I'm going to give you a two-night audition and, and I'm going to give you an air shift. And if you do well, then I will consider putting you on the air on a regular basis. And I didn't have my FCC license, so the music director had to stay up all night with me for two nights. And I took pictures of my favorite band, and I took a Portland Trailblazers hat, sorry. And (laughs) I laid everything on the console at the radio station and just talked to 
my friends that were sitting there. I had a styrofoam head with a blazer's cap on it, and I just talked to it the whole night. And that's how I learned to do radio. And he was like, you know what? You weren't horrible. He was like, you actually said some funny things. He said, you have to not talk as much because this is music radio. It's not talk radio. So really tighten things up. But if you take the best of what you do in smaller doses, you might be good at this. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. So I was like, all right. And uh, and he had he had done the same thing with a couple other interns. I think the only major market music station in the country mm-hmm. who would just pluck interns out of the unpaid intern program and put them on the air. Very happy to have been a part of it. And then he was so creative. They heard about his radio promotions at MTV, and he started interviewing with MTV. And then in May of 92, he got hired to be the senior VP of programming. And I was like, well, there goes my broadcasting career. I guess I better go back to the intern program. I was working at a cutlery store in the Beverly Center. Oh, my gosh. You want to hear a really funny story? I would. Lo- that's why I'm here. Okay. You know McSteamy from Grey's Anatomy, Eric Dames? Yes. So I had forgotten about this. He and I, when I was 18, and he was, you know, probably 17 or 18. I think we're right around the same age. We went on a date. We both worked in the mall at the Beverly Center. You're joking. And we went on a date. And he said that I blew him off because he knew I blew him off because I took him to Denny's, which was my Denny's. And Wait, I, that's the best date ever. And I invited all of my friends. <gasps> and so all of my friends came over and, and like sidetracked the date. You weren't into it or you were just nervous? Probably both. Okay. So you actually did blow him off? Mm-hmm. He, he never Did he ask you out and then you decided to take him to Denny's? Or, yeah. Okay. So he didn't plan the date? No, it was my Denny's. I went there every night. I okay. knew everyone at that Denny's. And it was not the rock and roll Denny's. The rock and roll Denny's was further west mm-hmm. on Sunset Boulevard. This was the Gower Gulch Denny's. This is where- It's an important distinction. A very important because yeah. it's like- the rock and roll Denny's, that's where all the hipsters went and the band guys. And that you went to rock and roll Denny's to be seen. You went to the Gower Gulch Denny's if you were a retiree or maybe had some special needs. That's where that's where I fit in with all of my people. Are you a Grand Slam kind of gal or what would you order at Denny's? Um, so they actually had like a at the time I wasn't eating meat. So they had like a vegetarian grilled cheese sandwich on whole grain bread. And I would have that mm-hmm. and iced tea. And I hate to say it, but at the time I smoked cigarettes and you could smoke in Denny's. And so my friends and I would get cheap meals and like stretch the meal out over two hours and just sit and smoke. (laughs) And it was it was put the cigarette out in your pancake. Absolutely. Right. But But. that was really fun. So I blew off Eric Dane at Denny's. Could it be because he played a doctor on television eventually that maybe he was upset at your smoking and putting your cigarette out? Yeah, he's the- probably <laughs> disgusted and then had to dedicate his life to the medical profession. That it makes a lot of sense. Yep, now his life and his torso. Well, I think I think um, you should revisit that because it sounds like a great date. And any date forward, if you decide to go, um, I think it should be at Denny's. Oh, that's a nice thought. Yeah, it's great. Bowling and Denny's, I, th- I can't imagine I love bowling. Better. I think yeah. bowling is a fantastic It's date. the best sport invented. Yeah. Yeah, bowling are you good? Is- no, see, that's a thing. Mm. Like, bowling and golf, I'm the same kind of athlete, and okay. I use that term very loosely. Uh, that, that I wish I could reverse my scores. Yeah. I wish my bowling score was my golf score and vice versa, because <laughs> then I'd be Don't we all? really, really good at both. <laughs> um, but I will I will make a couple of, you know, I, I will bowl a strike here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's like I will get a little too in my head and think that I'm putting spin on the ball, and it goes right into the gutter. So you, you try to spin and yeah, it doesn't. I'm a, I'm a go big or go home. Uh, yeah, that's the only way you can bowl. Yeah. 
You just got to close your eyes and, and go for you it. Really no bumpers. You really have to feel it. No bumpers. Yeah, that, no. that's embarrassing. You can't embarrass yourself Mm-mm. like that. I'd rather it go in the gutter. Yeah. And I, then hit yeah. a turkey right after that. It, you. It sounds like you have it down. Why did you go into this profession when you can be a professional bowler? I know. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> like Big Earn McCracken. Yeah. We'll be right back after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So you mentioned when you uh, when Mount St. Helens erupted, your dogs were barking. Are you a dogs person or yes. do, do you have any other pets? Besides I have. No, I just have a French bulldog. OK. And it, were you always in, into French bulldogs? So I was always really into bulldogs. So English okay. bulldogs. And I finally got one um, when I was 26. I got a, an English bulldog because I could afford my own dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a great dog. English bulldogs are crazy. Anyone who is had one or been around one, they know that they fart and snort. They make a lot of noises and a lot of gas. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you have to spend so much money on their food mm-hmm. because they have all sorts. Th- that breed. Why did you want that? Ever since I was a kid, I loved English Bulldogs. So mm-hmm. I had a, a book called Rutgers and the Water Snout or something like that. And so Rutgers was an English Bulldog. And so I used, my mom still has the picture. We had to make a factory in art class. And so I did a, a bulldog factory? a bulldog factory. Yes. Yeah, so my oh. factory was a giant hot dog. And so in one end, you, I don't know what you put in, but in the other end, English bulldogs would pop out. Wow. And then there was That's a, basically how they breed. Yes. <laughs> well it French is, bulldogs is, at they least. They would not exist <laughs> in nature. And so my brother, to be a complete jerk, goes, Do you know what we're doing today? And I was like, no. And he goes, we're going to Mr. Roth's bulldog farm. So Mr. Roth was like the wealthy guy in the neighborhood who owned the Audi dealership. So why wouldn't Mr. Roth, if he owned an Audi dealership, why wouldn't he own a bulldog it farm? Tracks. Yeah. So I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, we're going to Mr. Roth's bulldog farm and you get to pick out two English bulldogs. And I was like, what a mean this, brother. I know. I know. <laughs> and I was like, this is, this is the best day of my life. I'm like, all of my dreams have been realized. Like, mm. if you offered me my own unicorn, I wouldn't even want that. I would say, no, keep the unicorn in the showroom. I want the two English bulldogs. Yeah. And so I waited patiently all day. And then finally, like, the sun setting. So I go up to my dad. I'm like, when are we going to Mr. Roth's bulldog farm? He's like, what are you talking about? Oh, and I was no. like, we got to go to Mr. Roth's bulldog farm get two bulldogs. He's like, no, we don't. Mr. Roth doesn't have a bulldog farm. <laughs> and I look at my brother and he's like laughing hysterically. I'm like, you are the worst person. Ever. Wow. That's that's horrible. Yeah. You know, siblings, you know, they tease each other, but that is actually just yeah. straight up mean. That's absolutely right. Yeah. I, I This actually reminds me, I read something about you were the host on April Fool's. Will you tell me that story? It was like an April Fool's thing where the host switched. Oh, yeah. That was a game show network. Okay. That was really fun. Because so, that sounds like an April Fool's joke to me with so, the Bulldogs. Yeah, so, yeah. That, but it was like April Fool's year-round with my <laughs> brothers. Um, so I was doing Friend or Foe. Um, Mark L. Wahlberg, who hosted Temptation Island, who was the original Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Um, he was he was hosting a show, and I can't remember what it was called. There was a show called Cram, where you stayed up for 24 hours. Um Todd was hosting Pressure Luck, and so we all just switched. Okay. And Henry Winkler was the host of the show that I got to host for the day, and he was amazing. The Fonz. Mm. So he was the executive producer, and he was so 
he was he, probably the kindest person I've ever met in all of entertainment. Really? Yes. What, what did you learn from him that you have maybe taken with you now that you've been so successful in your career? When you talk to someone, really listen to them. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't phone it in. Don't make it seem like you're listening to them. Really listen to them. He has a way of making you feel so at ease and so comfortable, and he is so kind and uh, I pitched him an idea for a show that he was totally uninterested in, and he was very honest about that, but I still <laughs> felt so good in the process. And then yes. I would go, he was the executive producer of Hollywood Squares, and I would go to Hollywood Squares, which was the best thing in the world. Like, everyone's like, oh, that's so cheesy. I'm like, are you out of your mind? It was like Brad Garrett, Alf, Anna Nicole Smith, uh, Apollo Ono, like, wow, just throwback. Yeah. (laughs) Arsenio Hall, like all it was so much fun. And they had like this. They'd always give you presents and like this giant spread of food (laughs) and you would tape five shows in a day. Well, that's perfect. Just knock it all out. Yeah. That's why game shows are amazing. (laughs) Wait, what was your bad idea? I got to know this. The one that he didn't want. Oh, it was about it was about. uh, So I was in my 20s at the time and. I was a 25-year-old who failed in finance and went back to my very small hometown to be a guidance counselor in a high school, and it was a job that I was horrible at, and he was the high school principal, and he was secretly my dad. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. got some Hallmark vibes in yes. there. <laughs> yeah. I think we, you know what? I think we should make this on Fox Nation. All right. We, you know what? You can be the star. <laughs> no, now now it wouldn't work. Like, hey, fellow kids, <laughs> I actually really like that idea, though. That's that's solid. Um, we'll have to play it out. Um, so I, you've been gracious enough to let me come on your show, and you know I obviously watch at home too. And something that is so impressive, and I think why you're so successful is you make information so digestible for people watching at home, and you're hilarious when you do it. So I feel like comedy has kind of been, I mean, it goes hand in hand with your personality because you're such a, a, you know, outgoing person. So how have you managed talking about these topics on Fox Business, on Fox News, and just throughout your career, but also having a little bit of a flair to it? I think um, the most important thing is to point out the absurdity And it's really okay. Like, I'm not a comic. I will be incidentally funny, but I'm not a comic. I'm not a humorist. I don't I don't do sketches. And for people who do that, that is like that is a full time job that that takes so much of your brain. But I I get really, really passionate about certain topics. And I think that's okay. I think the most important thing is to go on a journey to bring people with you and to explain why you care about it, and why you want them there. And Mm. that's what I try and do on my show. And I try and have fun with people. I don't want to just have arguments. Like, even if I disagree with someone, like, I still want it to be a good time. I don't want people watching, feeling uncomfortable or hating someone who's on the show. I want them knowing that even if you totally disagree with someone, you still want to have a beer with Chris Hahn. (laughs) Exactly. It's I mean, it's I think that's something a lot of people miss is, you know, talking about politics or news or things like that. It's you do end up having more similarities with people outside of your few views that you really realize. And that's what I love about your show. And I love about you as a a person and a talent because it's just so easy for people to get. Um, 
so I, I do have to ask you that the one thing we disagree on is USC UCLA. <laughs> what what made you go there? I just I don't understand. I know you didn't get into USC, but you I didn't know apply what, to USC. what were the other? No, reasons? I didn't. I did not apply to USC. So <laughs> so I went to Santa Monica College because mm-hmm. I did not graduate from high school, and I'm fine with that because I had a great time in high school. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Rushmore, but I, I felt so much kinship with that character because. I also had a million extracurricular activities. So in the back of the yearbook, when it lists all your extracurricular activities, mine was like a paragraph. Like I did so many things in high school. I was always so busy. And my senior year, I was in student government. I went to Girls State, Girls Nation. I was a lead in the school play. I was a president of the Croquet Society. I was president of the service club. I was on the teen center committee. I was in two choirs. Two I, choirs. I, I like a show choir and a, a show choir and a, an acapella choir. I interned for my state rep- representative, and I was working on all these campaigns simultaneously. Wow! Like I did all of my senior, and because of that, I failed several classes because I felt like sitting in a class hearing someone from an academic bubble who was a liberal just droning on and on to me. I felt that that was very boring. And frankly, beneath me, mm-hmm. like I wasn't really getting something out of it. And right. I didn't feel like these people had a lot of life experience. But was what I was doing and the people I was interacting with, they were far more interesting and fun. And I got so much more out of it. And that served me way better as a broadcaster and a performer than anything in the classes that I failed. So what made you decide then to go to? I had to go to community college because there's no way you can get into a four-year school with no high school diploma. But did you feel like when you went to UCLA, they were droning on and taught I mean, no, did you feel, have was, that same no, experience? No, because unlike you, I didn't take simple pupil remedial <laughs> classes. I actually took classes in analytic philosophy. So I mean, same. UCLA has a world-class <laughs> philosophy department. So I, I went to Santa Monica College, and I actually had a 4.0. And UCLA, the regents of UCLA sent a letter saying we would like to offer you the Regent scholarship before I even applied. Wow. And I was like, oh, hell. And that meant free school. So yeah. I was like, I the only school I applied to was UCLA. Wow. I mean, that that is, that's really impressive. And, and um, I, I hate to admit it. I mean, U, UCLA is all right. USC is better, but UCLA is all right. Um, it's a horrible neighborhood. <laughs> it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> I won't disagree with you there. Um, what, what did you learn just kind of in that time before? I mean, if you didn't finish high school or you didn't go to high school at all. No, I did. I, you did. I, I quote unquote finished. And that I went all of the days of high school. I just don't have a high school diploma. So what did you learn more from the extracurriculars that you did than actually learning? I learned, like, from my state representative, I learned how to put ideas into action. I learned how Mm -hmm. to talk to people and talk to constituents and find out what is really most important for them. And uh, the, the person that I worked for he was really great about talking to his staff and saying, you know, remember so-and-so, remember their business, you remember, you know, all these regulations, like, we have to figure out how to craft policy around, and and it was, he was an amazing human being who happened to be a really good politician, um, and so I learned so much from him, and he also sat me down when he saw that I was doing too much my senior year, and he said, you have to learn how to say no. He said it's one of the most important things. And he said there are different ways of saying no. He said you can say no, thank you, no, not right now, no, but here's someone else who can help you. And he said what's going to happen is 
you're going to be doing, your brain needs to unplug. He's like, you're 17 years old. <laughs> so what's going to happen is you will be doing one of these activities and you're just going to start screwing around and mm. you won't do it completely. And he said, you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself by taking on too much. And he said, you really don't want to get burned out at your age. And he was absolutely right. Well, I look at you now and you're doing so much. So how do you manage that? Because I, I look up, you're on Outnumbered. You're obviously hosting your own show on primetime. You've got your podcast right after this one. I've already probably kept you too long. How do you manage all that? I, the, the most important thing is stay organized and be in the moment. And so when you're doing something, only do that task, mm -hmm. which is hard to say when you've got plates spinning. But like tonight I was making dinner, like furiously running around my kitchen trying to make dinner for my girls because that's very important to me before I leave. No matter what happens or where they are, I want them to have a hot home-cooked meal. And then I'll come home. You know, my show's done at 8. I'll, I'll be home by 8.30 and we can talk about the day. But I want them to know that there's something there just for them that they can eat. And so I'm, I'm running around trying to get everything done. You know, it's like I finished the laundry. I did two workouts. And I know that I've got this, a monologue to write, do hair and makeup, and and get everything in. And I just really try and stay in the moment. And that is mindfulness is something that I learned from a therapist I went to in Seattle when I was plagued by panic attacks and anxiety. And it's because I was living in two different parts of my life, the past ruminating about it and the future worrying about it. And it robbed me of just being in the moment. And it took so long and it took so much work to really figure out how to do that and it truly is a practice that you have to go back to constantly I mean I feel like you hear that all the time like live in the present but that's so incredibly difficult to do but you sound like a great mom I mean it's that's your your girls are very lucky what do you make for dinner what oh, is tonight it was uh I, I did salmon with coconut milk and then I put soy sauce and lemon juice onion salt garlic powder a little bit of honey and lime slices and then put that in the oven for 20 minutes. And then I made salad with uh, kale, romaine, grapes, Fuji apples, and uh, manchego cheese what? with a lovely vinaigrette and rice. When am I coming over for dinner? Whenever you want. <laughs> okay, I'm yes. going to take up on that. I do have to quickly ask you, I know we're running out of time, but um, something we haven't covered is just your athletic prowess. Um, two I workouts. I mean, you're actually like a real athlete. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm run. a peasant who is very optimistic. Tell people who don't know. Tell tell them what you do. I do uh, half Ironman distance triathlons. Yeah, and so exactly. I, I usually do two a year. And so I did one about two and a half weeks ago, and it was very interesting because I was on track to PR, which you know I turned fifty two days before this race. So I, I was on track to PR. So I, I started running and I got the searing pain in my hip, front and back. Mm. And it's like, I know this isn't good. So I was having a talk with myself. It's like, if I stop and walk, I might not make the cutoff. If I keep running slowly, I know I'll finish. And it wasn't a fast race, but it was the second fastest race I've had in five years. I did not PR by a long shot because I had to run so slow. I got my MRI results yesterday. I have two labral tears in my right hip. And you kept going? Yeah. So it's like that was actual real pain. That wow. wasn't just like me being lazy. And so the searing pain was tears was real. in my hip and my body telling me, stop running. Do you have to take a break now? Yes. I have to take a break from running for several months. Uh, but my coach texted me yesterday and said, and she said, we will make you the fastest swimmer and cyclist you've ever been. <laughs> and so I'm also trying Pilates for the first time to sort of rehab and balance my body. 
Well, that's, I love Pilates. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. As if I wasn't tall enough, Pilates stretches me out even more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I become 6'5 when I go often. Um, All right. Last question. I know you've been asked this a million times, but how do you save the world? Uh, It's really one podcast at a time. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Does this one count? Absolutely. Or did this set you back? No, no. This, this counts because... It's nice to just unplug and have a conversation. Good. And let someone else drive the bus. <laughs> well, I appreciate you unplugging and having the conversation with me. I'll let you go so you can go um, rehab and do your cycling classes and your swimming classes <laughs> before you go and save the world. So Gotta thanks, Kennedy. It. You're the best, Abby. Thank You're the you. best. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about Kennedy. Number one, she is an amazing mom. Between her podcast or two workouts a day, going on Fox News, her primetime Fox business show, she still makes her daughter's dinner so they have a home-cooked warm meal every night. Number two, not only does she crush it on your TV screen, she also does triathlons, even a couple of tears in her hip. Don't slow her down. And number three, a piece of advice that was shared early on with Kennedy was to truly listen. Don't just pretend to be present, but actually be present. And sitting across from her in studio today, you can really tell she lives by that rule. And I thank her so much for sharing her story with me on Getting Schooled. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on the beautiful, the wonderful, the incredible Kennedy. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Fast dismissed. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.